Well, hi folks. Welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. This is Ken and Charlie. Last week we talked about just some general stuff about Charlie's recent trip in South India with his son. And this week we're going to follow that up with a uh, classic format that we have uh, quite enjoyed over the past couple years, which is a top five. I, I have some friends who kind of make fun of me for all these top five podcasts, but it's okay. You can make fun. So yeah, Charlie has compiled his, his top five favorite sightings from uh, his trip. I think they're all birds, but one of them is kind of associated with a pretty awesome mammal. So yeah, let's, uh, let's kick things off straight away. Is that your number five out of your top five, we always do these in reverse order, it is a bit of an LBJ, but I do understand the appeal. It's the Nilgiri Pipit. Yeah. So, I mean, pipits are pretty dull-colored birds. I mean, I, I don't find them even behaviorally that interesting. But um, there's a whole bunch of birds named Nilgiri for the name of the, the mountains in, the, in southern India. So and it's a pretty cool name, and it just kind of tells you it's an endemic straight away if you see Nilgiri before it. But having worked on the Habitat book, we actually included it in the Habitat book. We may have had a picture of it there, but we certainly, we certainly mentioned it. There's not a lot of grassy habitats in Asia. I think we put a map at the beginning of the regional section, so that, you know, the, the tropical Asia, the Indo-Malaya section, had a, a map, like a general map for the whole region with different colors for different habitats. It can be like uh, forests or grasslands or, or whatever. And there was very few. I think grasslands were maybe yellow, and there was just a few little dots here and there. So it's a, it's a fairly unusual habitat in the region. And this is obviously like a grassland bird, so it's uh, it shows that it's a... Uh, some people are saying, you know, this is just an area that's been burnt over, you know, thousands of years. People have been burning it, and that's why, you know, it's, it's not a real natural habitat. But it just having a grassland bird there it kind of shows that it is. It's just found at a few locations, so interesting habitat and a bit of a rare bird. And a cool name. So uh, it was towards the end of my trip. I did some of the other the mountains, all the mount, montane birds. I'd seen most of my targets already before I went to this area. We were based in a in a place called uh, Munar, which is quite a cool town up in the mountains in Tamil Nadu. And we met a really cool guy there who was uh, called Hadley. And he was very into herps. He took us out herping. We saw a lot of cool frogs and snakes and stuff like that. So that was quite cool. But then the next day, he took us up birding into the mountains. We birded some of these little um, montane uh, shola forests. Shola. But then yeah. he took it. Shola. And then he took us um, up into this national park called the uh, Eravikulam National Park. It was set up to conserve an endemic mammal, the Nilgiri tar, which is like a sort of mountain goat, which I think we mentioned last time. So that's like the emblem of the park is this, is this goat. It's a really quite a popular place with Indian tourists. <laughs> oh, oh, it is. It was quite interesting. Another thing about it was that uh, I think we mentioned last time about all this camera drama. So I had this kind of, kind of whole camera drama going in and having to pay for cameras and stuff like that. But once you've paid for your tickets, you line up. And then you get you get on a bus, which sort of drives up these kind of switchbacks and all the way to the top. Yeah, you're not allowed to just drive up yourself. You've got to all pile in together. So you're all in, sort of in there with my you know local guide and then all these uh, Indian tourists up there going up to see the goats. There was a sign that I took a picture of up there. I think it said, uh, love me, but don't touch me. 
and then there was like a a silhouette of a goat with a hand going towards it and like a little cross mark you know because some of these goats are really quite tame but yeah obviously they don't want people touching them do not caress the goats goat caressing is discouraged in the strongest of terms yeah so we went up there and and everybody was sort of taking selfies with the goats and touching them and this was pretty much my only chance for the pipit. I'd already missed it at one place where they're sometimes seen. But this is, you know, re- the regular sight for them. And uh, we're, we're going up and I'm I'm looking, I'm looking, looking. And sometimes my son have these little arguments while we're birding. He has a bit of a breakdown and a bit of a tantrum. And I, I'd annoyed him somehow. I think he flushed a bird and I got a bit frustrated. And then he, he got really cross. And so we're, we're having this little argument the guide is sort of standing right next to us. Yeah, I normally like to just get my son to the side and calm him down. And, you know, I've got my way with him. But this guide is just sat there smirking. And this isn't making anything better, this guide sort of smiling. And so I'm trying to sort of get my son to calm down a little bit. And then, and then he says he wants to go home. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going back without seeing this bird. Come on, you've got to, <laughs> you've got to calm down. And we're going to try to get this bird. And he says, I don't want to see it and or whatever. So anyway, we keep going up. And we'd already missed it once. I, I think, you know what it was? I was trying to get him on it and he couldn't get on it and he got frustrated and then it flew away. So I, uh-huh. I didn't even really see it very well. I didn't take a picture. And then then they had this whole kind of difficult dynamic. But he calmed down a little bit and then and then he ended up spotting one, which always puts him in a good mood. So <laughs> he made a really good spot of one really close. And then we got, you know, we got really excellent views of this. It was set on a little rock, just, just a few, you know, it was maybe... 20 feet away something like that and he was singing on top of this rock uh, in really nice light so we're just shooting away both of us and we would had good views and good photos and um yeah it all kind of ended up well but it, it it started off as quite a bit of a sort of birding drama well you got him into birding and then now he takes it really seriously and i guess part of that is he that does, when he misses yeah. a bird it's a big deal yeah <laughs> yeah but uh, it, it was a cool place. But, um, you know, it was pretty picturesque. You know, these beautiful grasslands just shooting up really steeply up into these, you know, craggy mountains and there's little patches of forest around. So it was a, a cool place. And, of course, Indians being Indians, they, they're just coming up the whole time and just trying to talk with us and and take pictures with us. And, um, and of course, before I'd seen the bird and I was still feeling quite nervous and and my son was angry, and the last thing we wanted was to take selfies with a bunch of Indian dudes with mustaches. You know, there. But, but once we'd seen the bird, it all calmed down a bit, and we, you know, we were Love more fest. friendly. And yeah, <laughs> what is your good name, sir? And I was like, "Leave me alone! I've got a bird to find." So I guess you've seen them at this place as well, right? There. Yeah, yeah, I've been there a couple times, and it is. I find it a very striking place. I think. I might have even described the place before on a previous episode where we talked a bit about the kind of mass marketization of wildlife experiences yeah. and the commodification of them. <laughs> uh, and, and this is kind of like the place I think of in my mind when I think about the effects of tons of people wanting to go see wildlife or, or just any natural place. The first time I went, basically, my my driver told me, you know, you need to be there very early. Okay, fine. I didn't understand exactly why, but you know, I was on the, like, I was on actually the first bus up and it didn't seem that busy, but 
basically by the time I was coming down, you know, you, you get to the top where the shuttle stops and then you walk up to the top of the mountain and you see the TARS and you caress them if you want to break the rules and <laughs> you hopefully see the pipit and then you walk down. But by the time I was coming down to catch the shuttle back down, there were just mobs of humanity headed up there. So when I went, <laughs> when I went up, I found the whole setup quite ridiculous because there is a wide path and there is like a five foot fence on both sides of this. So essentially it's, you feel like a cow being, you know, corralled. And I was thinking this is ridiculous. And then there were like monitors, like rule, you know, monitors, like every hundred meters along this path. And I was thinking this is ridiculous. And then as I was coming down, I saw the mobs of humanity coming up and then I saw all these like monitors starting to chide people of like, you know, please don't touch the goats and <laughs> no, you can't climb the fence. Don't, uh, you know, and then I, I kind of understood, okay, like, this <laughs> is a huge tourist attraction. And basically in order to keep the place from just being trampled, yeah. you have to, that's what you have to do. So I kind of understood. The monitors all look completely completely identical to each other so it's like a guy in a with a mustache in a brown uniform um and he and he, he just looks like like the last dude with a mustache in a brown uniform sometimes holding a stick maybe it's uh, it's quite an experience i mean it is a beautiful place and i'm really grateful that it is accessible at all you know it's the kind of place they could just close off from the public so i'm glad that we're able to get up there but it's not exactly you know when the first time i, I thought i was just going to the top of some wild mountain and wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, well, Charlie's uh, number four highlight is quite a gripping one to me. I've mentioned quite uh, a few times on this podcast that I have a, a sort of lifelong ambition, an ongoing project to see all the sand grouse in the world. And there are only three that I haven't seen yet. And this is one of them. This is the painted <laughs> sand grouse, which I, I think is endemic to the Indian subcontinent. It was very unexpected. So I kind of planned this trip and then I got in touch with this guy, this friend who he basically replanned it. You know, I planned this trip and, and decided where to go and which places. And then I gave him my target list and then he just said, nah, nah, forget that. <laughs> he kind of gave me a, a completely new itinerary in the same region, but you know, better sites for like each place. And he saw this painted sandgrass on my list and he goes, oh, it's a difficult one. And I said, oh, you know, if, it, if, we, if, it, if you can't get it, don't worry about it. I'll see there's one or two records around, but, you know, don't worry too much about it. He goes, oh, no, maybe, maybe. And he put me in touch with a friend of his, this uh, this Indian dude. And he commented about him that he's, he's one of the best bird watchers in India. And he's based in Bangalore. I was starting the trip in Bangalore and he said, I recommend that you spend a couple of days birding the area around Bangalore for, for rarities with these hmm. local birders. And I was like, well, nice. yeah, cool, great. And this guy, he was just a birding machine. You know, he was a sort of dawn to dusk, you know, guy. We set off in the dark. We came back in the dark. We birded all day long. And we just came back with this list of birds that was just ridiculous. But stuff that wasn't, I wasn't even expecting. We ended up a long way north of Bangalore, at least two hours, maybe two and a half hours north. At the end of the day, this was, you know, getting towards dusk. So, you know, we were coming back quite late. And I put all these rare ones just as a, just in case, you know, I said, well, you know, I've got things like uh, Rufus Brunted, the uh, Prenier and, and the Sangrouse and um, 
and uh, what else was there? Rufus Tail Lark, and you know, there's a bunch of rare larks and stuff like that, and rock bush quail. And he got me every single one of these, every really? tough birds. It was just a really, really impressive feat of bird watching. But the place we went to at the end of the day, it was very far north and it was very dry. It was sort of thorn scrub. I think it would have been thorn scrub naturally, but it had a lot of plowed fields and mixed agriculture and kind of overgrown fields and things like that. But the place was just alive with birds there. And we start getting through these ones. We got this rock bush quail and the and the, and the prinier and these larks and, and it's going really well. And he said he wanted to go like drive along. I'm sort of in the car and there's all these little dry tracks sort of meandering through this kind of farmland and little dry scrub. And I see this area with little puddles there, puddles of water, really dry with little puddles. And I said, this kind of looks like it will be good for sand grouse. And seriously, about five seconds later, we were like, what's that? And we see this kind of chunky bird just waddling towards this puddle. And we stop and we look and it's like, oh my God, <laughs> it's a painted sand grouse. Ooh. It was a female. Yeah, it had just come. It looked perfectly good. It was a perfect time of day. It was just it was just a lot of luck. I don't think he was really expecting to get it. But yeah, we kind of pulled up, got a few photos, and we edged forward and it's it's tense and it's kinda of, it's got its head up and the windows and the car are down and we're just shooting out of the window. And it was just absolutely fantastic. We got closer and closer and I, I took this photo of it drinking and it dipped the head down and then scoop it up and there was this all this water dripping down that I got in the photo and this soft late afternoon light. It was really special. So yeah, it was a bird I wasn't expecting that was there. Uh, I also really like sand grouse. I've probably got a, mu- a few more than three to get, but uh, not too many. I-, I would definitely like to finish that family as well. Yeah, anytime you see a sand grouse, you're in some cool place, some kind of steppe or <laughs> desert, or it just always brings you to good places. Uh, gripping, gripping. Need to go to, <laughs> to Bangalore again. Yeah. All right, well, we'll move up to number three on your highlights. Uh, also has painted in the name, right? Painted bush quail. Yeah. Unusual, cool, handsome little quail. Also, if you have painted in the name, it's usually a pretty cool bird. <laughs> Definitely. So the bush quails, yeah, they're these little little tiny, chunky quails live in different habitats, you know, um, somewhere in real dry places. The painted bush quail is in more kind of humid places can be in the hills you get them a lot in in tea plantations actually the local guide who showed them to us he said they're actually pretty common there but they're just hard to see i mean if there's just all tea bushes how are you going to see a little quail running around on the ground you know so we ended up in a place called kotagiri it's just a little town in the mountains in tamil nadu just surrounded by tea plantations I'd already got quite far through my list of birds that I wanted to see. So I had a very short list. I'd I'd arranged weeks before to meet this guide. And we were going to do an afternoon and a morning with him. By the time we were there, I mean, it was maybe five or six birds. I said, you know, try and... And and one of them was this. And we go out in the afternoon. I said, are we going to look for it now? And he said, no, 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 tomorrow morning. So in the first afternoon, he showed us a few cool birds. And then the, the last thing in the afternoon, he took us to a stakeout for mammals and the mammal we ended up seeing he didn't even mention but the thing that we were looking for was leopards in this tea plantation wow so the tea workers all finish work at five i think they, they blow like a a siren or something and they all come down carrying the big huge bags of, of tea leaves on their head 
and they all come down and he says about 5.30, that's when the leopards come out. Because it's the same time every day and the leopards have just got used to people being there and then they, they clear off and then they start wandering around and start hunting in their tea plantations. But um, he said there was about six. He, he actually knew all the leopards individually in this one area. He said there were six leopards that he knew in the area and four of them were black panthers. Ooh. He was showing me photos. He said, you know, There was photos of them just laying there between the tea bushes you know, like a, a black panther next to a normal leopard, and it looked amazing. So we we kind of got to a point, and uh, we sat there. We thought, "Oh, this is this is really exciting." You know, you just sitting there waiting for leopards. I mean, it's really really tense. But the guy had a friend as well. It was a an Indian wildlife photographer with his wife and his little kid who was like five, and this little kid is like running around and, and <laughs> squealing and. And shouting, and, and Felix is really pissed off because he's ready to like wait quietly and, and see some cool mammals. And he's like, Dad, it's not going to come. The leopard's not going to come. <laughs> and I said, just chill, just chill. You know, this guy knows his stuff. And he kind of goes off to one side, and then we're just kind of, we just sat there waiting. And then he runs back, and he starts frantically waving his arms, and he, he pulls us over, and we're like, what, 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 is it leopard? And he goes, no, sloth bear. Ooh. And I was like, oh, no way. And sloth bear is really one of my most wanted mammals. You know, I've missed it before in Sri Lanka, and I, I haven't—I've only seen one bear. That's a spectacle bear. So I—I I would really love to see like all the bears in the world. That would be like really cool. But uh, I've wanted to see the sloth bear for ages. And he's like, "Sloth bear, look, look, look!" And I said, "What? Close?" And he goes, "No, no, no!" And he's pointing way up in the in the mountain. It was almost like a little meadow just above the tea plantations. And luckily, I had my scope with me. And I think he'd seen it, and then it had kind of disappeared. And he and he's he's pointing out some landmarks. He said, "You see that rock up there, and, and there, and uh, and so I, I put the rock in my scope, and then I just keep scanning this hillside. And then I see this little black lump just kind of moving through the grass, and and on top of the big black lump, there was a small black lump with like a little white circle in it. And I said, I th- I thought this is kind of a weird shape. I couldn't figure out what it was, but it was actually a, a sloth bear." mother with a baby sloth bear on its back wow and it's and and it's walking around this this meadow and it was you know it was pretty far it was maybe a couple of hundred meters away but you know through the scope and we were getting really pretty good views yeah it was just wandering slowly around backwards and forwards just uh just foraging i think um so we had a look we we showed this little little kid five-year-old kid the the bear as well he was pretty chuffed and, uh, and the photographer's wife, they were happy. And yeah, it was just really cool. So in the end, we didn't even see any of these leopards and, and, and the Black Panther. But yeah, I was I was more than happy to get this, uh, this sloth bear. Anyway, so that was the afternoon. The next morning, he arranged where we could come and meet him. And it was actually near his house. So he met us on the side of the road. It was maybe like 6.30 in the morning, something like that. And we met him down there. And he guides us up through all these little paths going through the tea plantations to this kind of rather nice house at the top of the hill. And I said, oh, yeah, that's a nice house. Who's that? And he goes, oh, it's my house. I was like, oh, okay. And just before we got to the house, there was like some shade cloth that was strung between two sticks. And then it was obviously like a little little makeshift hide. And then we stood behind it. On the other side was like a little stone wall between the tea bushes. And this is where this painted bush quail came in. So he was he's actually feeding this thing. So we just sat there, and he said, it, "Oh, it comes in at, it comes in at seven fifteen, and now wow. it was like seven, I think, by the time we got there." 
So we were like, okay, fair enough. And we were just waiting. And then at 7.15, like almost on the dot, this thing just hops up on this little stone wall and starts feeding on these little seeds on the wall. It was absolutely mind-blowing that uh, he had this thing so well staked out. And it was just absolutely gorgeous. It was all this kind of like dappled um, black and kind of reddish markings on the body. It had this beautiful white throat and a red bill. It was just an absolutely gorgeous bird and one that we really it was one of the birds that really stood out when we were planning the trip and we you know we were thinking what what do we really want to see and we watched it for probably 15 minutes just eating away and sometimes it would stop and then just sat there and preen itself and it it climbed to the little highest point and then it started singing and i was getting videos and slow motion videos and all sorts of photos and my son was getting photos i think probably one of the best photos he ever he ever took because this is only like maybe 20 feet away, 25 feet. So it was just a really, really cool sighting. And then after it was done, it just hopped down and then that was it. It was just it was just a perfect little show. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. This kind of thing of uh, local guides creating stakeouts for birds, sometimes in their own backyard. <laughs> it reminds me of some experiences I had recently in the Philippines, which I think we'll chat about in, a, in an episode soon. But this is definitely uh, kind of a new trend and a very cool phenomenon all around the world, this kind of thing. I mean, what we do is take people on these tours, often sort of older people, and you have a limited amount of time to see very difficult birds. And if you're just going to be charging around a, a plantation looking for little bush quails on the ground, you know, you, get, you, might, you might glimpse it if you're lucky. You know, you know you're only there in the morning. So having these stakeouts... For what we do is just absolute gold. It's just so, oh, yeah. it's just a real game changer. Yep, sure is. And there's so many good things about it, just in terms of local guides getting better and better around the world and, you know, less disturbance to the birds of this kind of way of seeing them. And yeah, we've talked about all of this before. So it's, it's cool to hear about another in- instance of this kind of phenomenon in southern India. Have you seen Slothbat? Oh, thanks for reminding me. Yeah, gripping me. Um, <laughs> technically, the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> this was actually also in South India. And this was in right. Murumalai National Park, where I believe you went. And we were driving around right at dusk one late afternoon. And the I think the local, the, like the local park guide with the like... 75 year old rifle was uh you know he was a little bit higher on our little jeep and all of a sudden he's like we slam on the brakes and we all look up the hillside and i'm just haunted by this i I remember (laughs) one second there was this big blackish hummock and then the next second it was gone and that was my only glimpse of sloth bear you know if the park guide hadn't pointed it out i never would have had any idea that i'd seen a sloth bear i def so i definitely have seen one but it's just like it as unsatisfying as a sighting can possibly be uh it's an animal Indeed. i really want to see properly yeah. oh yeah yeah so ready to move on to your number two yep all right number two is yeah quite a, a good looking bird this is and it relatively recently split from more widespread bird in the Himalayas, I think the scaly thrush. So it's this kind of big, chunky, brown-backed thrush with just incredibly elaborate, intricate kind of uh, scallop markings all over it. 
This is the Nilgiri thrush. Our trip wasn't at the at the prime time for visiting South India. You know, you you really don't want to go to South India any later than March. But because, you know, my son had a holiday and because I had work commitments and couldn't get away any other time, this is this is when we came, you know. So we, we got eaten by a lot of uh, leeches and a lot of <laughs> mosquitoes and a lot, a lot of the winter birds had cleared off. But, you know, all the all the endemics were still there and I think still gettable. But when I was chatting with my friend uh, Ashwin, this really amazing birder in Bangalore, he said it's actually a really good time for Nilgiri thrush. It's probably the, the peak huh. time to see it because in March they're not really singing yet. But he said at the moment, he'd been there a couple of weeks before and he said they were singing away and they were quite gettable. They're easier than at other times because these are tough birds. You know, it's not it's not they like a, a song a song thrush on a, a lawn or something like that. This is this is like a really really skulking um, forest um, understory bird. Yeah, so it's it's not an easy bird to find. And one of the reasons this is this is my two and not lower down the list. We chatted at length about the fact that you weren't didn't really have much birding freedom and you always had to be accompanied by a guide and all this kind of thing. This is a, one of the few times I managed to sneak off and do some birding on our own. And it was very rewarding because of that, I think. It didn't, you didn't get crushed by elephants, I guess. We didn't get crushed by elephants, no. Good work. I guess we were lucky. Um, <laughs> we you got click, lucky. We did click as well and we didn't pay anything for it. <laughs> oh, foreigner clicking. Yeah, foreigners clicking without paying, yeah. So we left Murumalai, which is kind of a little bit lower down. And then we went up into the hills and we went to a place called Uti, which is it was this former hill station of the British. You know, when, when it was just unbearably hot on the plains of India, all the British officers would come up with their wives and they would sort of escape the heat in these hill stations. So Uti was one of these hill stations. So a lot of kind of old colonial buildings and nice and cool. And it's just a really cool vibe to the place, you know, really, really nice place. And we visited a little small reserve. And then I, I, I saw most of these other birds that I wanted to see. There was a, there was a Sholaki, Nilgiri Sholakili and a Nilgiri Laughing Thrush and a Nilgiri uh, this and that. You know, there's a whole bunch of these endemics. But I, I missed this thrush there. We finished and the guide had said that this other place, if you go there too late, the traffic is crazy. And it was a place called Dodabeta Peak. I don't know if you've been there. I've been there, yeah. Dodabeta Peak is a, it's like a classic site for this Nilgiri thrush. It's like, you know, the site. But it's also very, very popular with tourists. And this was a, like a, a holiday weekend. This is like a national holiday, Ooh. long weekend at the end of it. And the traffic was, he, he thought the traffic was going to be absolutely terrible. Uh, but I said to him, look, we, we just got to try and it's my last chance for this bird. And uh, and he was like, okay, you know, you're the boss. Um, so, and, and he was also, when he was explaining this, he he was saying, you know, traffic, traffic. And I, I didn't really know the extent of it. <laughs> we got about halfway up this narrow kind of road that goes up to this, uh, this peak where all these tourists go. And it was absolutely jam-packed with cars, beeping and just thousands of people there, absolutely thousands. And he said, just get out here and walk. You get to the top, turn left, and then some nice forest there. Because this driver knew the place pretty well. And we're going up, and everybody's like shouting, all these young groups of guys, you know, with mustaches and all shouting at us. Um, and I kind of go up and up, and then we turn left, and it gets a little bit quieter, but there's still people playing music and shouting, and there's litter everywhere. And this is not a good place to find a skulking. <laughs> Incredibly shy, bird. rare. Yeah. yeah. And... 
and I'm looking, and, and we keep walking, walking, a little bit quiet, and I'm looking down this slope to the left, and there's nothing down there. It's just, it's just forest. And I thought, if we just go down this slope and into the forest, just escape all these people, maybe we've got a chance to see it. So we started going down bit by bit, and you know there was there was tons of trash on the on the road at the top, and then it was a little bit less, and we kind of carried on going down a little bit less, and we just went probably you know two hundred meters down the slope, and then it was just no trash, and it was just beautiful shola forest, and just absolutely gorgeous. And I thought this is this is it, this is it. We can put this in uh in the habitats book as a an indicator for appropriate habitat for nilgiri thrush. Yeah. Like <laughs> when you get beyond the trash zone. When you get the, the beyond the trash and the music, and then we started walking around, and I'm and I'm playing the song and the calls and stuff like that, as well as doing a song. They have these very little high pitched, little shrill calls mm-hmm. as well, like, really okay. distinctive. Yeah, that's it, that's it. And we were going along and play it, stop, listen, walk a little bit, play it, stop, listen, walk a little bit, and then I hear it. I hear these little high pitched call. And we, we stop and we crouch down and we sort of looking up into the canopy and it seems to be calling up there. And and I think I spot it and I'm trying to get Felix on it and then it flies and I think he sees it flying and we got quite a good view of it flying. And he went into this kind of little area and it was like a little meadow with trees around it. And then we, d- we did the same thing again, play it, stop, listen. And then and then we, we kind of locate it again and we're getting closer and closer and closer and we just cannot spot this thing. And then the thing flies again and this time like right in front of us. So we get, we get a really good flight view and it, this is really, I mean, it really wasn't that bad at all. I mean, it'd be nice to see it on the ground, but, you know, it was it was, it was was pretty good flight view. We were both pretty happy to ticket and, and uh, say we'd seen it. And then we start walking back and I'm hearing it again, but it's not really responding much anymore. And we just thought we'd just kind of sit down for a little bit. And we're just kind of squatting down, looking downhill, waiting to see if it will call again. And then Felix says, I've got it. And he spotted this thing, maybe, I don't know, maybe 40 meters away, just straight down on the ground. And this thing is so cryptically patterned. I mean, it looks just like dead leaves. Yep. Yeah, it just stays still. And then... The only time you see it is when it moves a little bit and starts tossing leaves around. But Felix had made this amazing spot and uh, he, he's getting me on it. And then uh, I, I see it and then we start taking pictures, you know, and, and, and they weren't too bad. And I think we crept a little bit closer, got a few more pictures. And then we just sat there watching it, tossing these leaves around. And um, we watched it for probably, you know, 15 minutes. And it was just incredible. It was just such a high. It was just such a really cool... It was It was really cool to explore on our own it was cool to to find this bird on our own it was cool to track it down and watch it at length and um both of us uh, were really really happy it was quite a it was quite a high it was definitely one of the birds of our trip uh Uti is a cool place uh and I, I would just like to flag up the real name of Uti. you're you're quite an accomplished <laughs> linguist but it. i'm guessing you didn't master the name uh, let's see. <laughs> I think Wikipedia is telling me Are you pulling it, it up? it'll uh, give me the name. Let me try here. Yeah. Let's hear that again. <laughs> Utakaman. And uh, apparently the official name is actually Uda Gamandalam. It's quite a name. So, yeah. yeah. Uti yeah. works. Yeah, it's a cool place. Uh, big tea growing area and yeah, lots of sholas. 
Well, Charlie's number one is once again quite gripping. Uh, maybe I will tell you the story <laughs> of my attempts to see this bird after you tell me about your successful attempts to see this bird. But the bird is the uh, <laughs> Sri Lanka bay owl. Yeah. So this is just empirically a, a really good bird. Just quality. It just looks really cool. I mean, really unusual. It's like a crazy-looking barn owl. You know, it's the sort of size of a barn owl, but it's got these like these weird-shaped face and these kind of black line, vertical lines going down through its face, and it's just a really weird, weird-looking bird. Worth also mentioning that you know, there's this quite widespread Oriental bay owl that's all over sort yeah. of Southeast Asia and down into Sundaland, but this one is only in a little bit of South India and Sri Lanka, so it's very localized. Yeah, very localized, very rare, very difficult to see. Um, I think in Sri Lanka, it's not easy. I think um, this place, Tatikad, which is a bird sanctuary, is the place to see it. And they've got some really excellent local guides there. And these guys kind of pride themselves on being able to to find this either at night or during the day on on roosts. Because, you know, they've seen it. They say it doesn't roost in the same place all the time. It's just kind of, it's constantly moving. But I can confirm that. No, this is just getting back to my tale of woe coming up soon. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so we, we've been recommended this guide and he was called Sanu, but really super nice dude. And again, you know, this was the end of the trip. I think on the tropical birding trip that we, we have, it's actually the beginning. That's right. We did it in kind of re- reverse order. So we had a very small list of birds. I mean, it might have been seven or eight birds, quite difficult ones. And I gave him this list and he was like, oh, yeah. And then we went through. We, we I think we were there for four nights. And then in the first two days, first day and a half, I think we'd, we'd, we'd nailed all of these things. We, we got this amazing view of a spot-bellied eagle owl where they've got pretty well staked out. Like at night, dusk it comes out and he was just running around. And, and I've actually done a separate mini podcast about owling because there was some pretty fascinating dynamics going on between the different local guides and stuff. So I actually recorded a little mini podcast, which I might supply to our patrons. But uh, yeah, that was really cool. Um, He showed us some cool owls. He showed us uh, Sri Lankan frogmouth and all these other really cool um, endemic birds. But we had maybe two full days left before we left. And the only bird missing in the end, maybe a day and a half, but the only bird missing was Sri Lanka Bay Owl. We'd been looking for it already for, for, you know, a day and a half. We'd spend a few hours every day searching through all these all these day roosts. And sometimes he would be crashing through the forest. We'd be stood on the road waiting. And then after half an hour, he'd just come and just shake his head and say, no, couldn't find it. I think on the final day, the leeches were just getting out of control. I mean, there was leeches everywhere. We were getting a lot of leech bites. Felix was handling it really well. A lot of mosquitoes. It was it was raining. It just wasn't comfortable, enjoyable birding. We had one bird that we just missed and missed and missed. I think by the final afternoon, it was like, what's the point? What's the point is going there? And he said, oh, I'll go and look for it. And I thought, oh, he's just saying that. Whatever. I'm not, you know, we've missed it. It's fine. I'm, I'm fine with it. And then I get this call. I've got it <laughs> on the final afternoon. And then I don't know where our driver was. I called the driver. I said, we've got to go right now. So he, he came back. We were just throwing our clothes on because we were just wearing shorts and in the air conditioning and just, you know, watching Netflix and stuff. And this was like serious. It, it was like a, a fire had started and we were firemen and we were sort of <laughs> you know, sliding down the fireman's pole and, you know, into our 
uniforms, but you know, we're putting our, our birding gear on, and uh, and then you know the driver got there, and we jumped in, and we're like, go 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 go, and um, we, we're on the phone with him. We said, okay, g- g- give me a GPS point. And he's he's uh, waiting, waiting, waiting. Okay, lo- location, navigate to that. Go 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 go. The driver, you know, I think we lost signal and we couldn't find him, and then you know we found a signal, and anyway, we end up, and he he kind of charges out of the forest, and. Um, and then we all kind of pile out of the car and we were like, okay, sit still there, sit still there. And he goes, yeah, 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 don't worry, don't worry. And then he introduces us to this other guide. And he said, okay, this is Rajiv. Go with Rajiv. And I was like, well, I thought you were the guy. And he said, no, you go with Rajiv. Okay, I, I've seen before, it's okay. I think this friend of his had found it, but he wanted to take like full credit for it, including, you know, a tip. And he didn't want his friend who was our guide to to get all the credit for so you right. know this was this was very clear that we should go with this guy so we go into the forest in a place we'd already been you know several times and he, he goes up this slope and he says don't tell anybody don't tell anybody where this is please don't tell anybody and he was really th- this was like sort of top secret information you know and he takes us up and we just and he says it's close and we kind of just stepping really really quietly and we get to this area where all these kind of vines were hanging down. It had this kind of very dark little canopy. And then we just kind of peek around this corner. And there, perched maybe 10 feet up, is this Sri Lanka bay owl just looking at us. Didn't seem bothered about us at all. And then we kind of take a few pictures and then get a little bit closer and take a few more pictures. And again, it's just it's just stood there. And we're just shaking our heads. And I'm looking at Felix and he's, I said, he thumbs up, thumbs up. Yeah, he's getting it. He got a photo and then finally, we could just relax and, and and enjoy the fact that we'd seen it. And then, we, you know, it was a walk away view. When you see a bird so well that you can't see it any better, you just walk away. So we had a walk away view of this bird. When we got, you know, a little bit further away, it was high fives and kind of hugging the guide, <laughs> high fiving. And it was just absolute kind of exhilaration after these three full days of sweating and getting bitten by leeches and everything. So, yeah, we were really happy. The guy was just happy to have found it. Uh, we gave him a nice big fat tip. And then we went back to see our old, uh, other guide and we're high-fiving him. And he had his friends there as well that had also, also been helping another two guys. So he'd, he'd had another three guys helping him look for this bird. And then we're all taking pictures together and sharing photos, you know, sharing contacts and sending each other selfies that we'd taken. It was just like a – it was an absolute little – kind of celebration of uh, of this amazing bird of the trip that just came at the very final hour of the trip. So it was just really cool experience. And I have actually heard your story, I think, from not from you, but from someone else, from Keith. So I'm very, very keen. And I apologize profusely for gripping you up so badly. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so I, I had been multiple times to Sri Lanka, home of the Sri Lanka Bay Owl. And... I'd also been to South India and I had not seen this bird. So it was in that category of birds you really want to see. I wasn't too bothered the first time. You know, it does look almost exactly <laughs> the same as the uh, as the Oriental Bay Owl. But by the, you know, fourth time I was in that part of the world, I, I really wanted to see this thing. <laughs> and the prospects looked pretty good because uh, we'd started working with this new ground agent that was really good. And he had like a local guide who was billed as this kind of birding god. And, you know, his specialty (laughs) was the the Sri Lankan bay owl. So it was like, cannot possibly go wrong. 
and not only that, there was word from some friends of mine in Sri Lanka that they were also seeing it in Sri Lanka. So it was like, okay, even worst case, I missed this in in India at Satakad. I'll see it in Sri Lanka. All right. But you, so you were going on from Tatikad to start a Sri Lanka tour, is that right? That's right. So I'll try to tell a, a short version of the story. But basically, <laughs> this local guide in India, he, he was actually very good and uh, he's, a, he's a cool guy. But he basically doomed it when on the first day I said, what do you think our chances are of seeing Sri Lanka bail? And he said, 100%. And I, I just... <laughs> I just felt in the pit of my stomach. I just, you know, it just like dropped out of me. I was like, sick. You never, ever say that. I think I've said on this podcast before, it, like all birders are a little bit superstitious. Uh, some might oh, not admit yeah. it. I was like, oh my goodness. You just don't, do not say that. I know, I know this is a hard bird and I appreciate your confidence, but that's overconfidence. Even if he'd said 99, I would have been like, okay, awesome. But a hundred percent. Oh man. So I think we were there for three nights, essentially, you know, parts of four days, pretty long time. And it's as, as you, as you described, you know, he's taking us to places where we might find it. He's often kind of leaving me to guide the group and and shooting off into various thick areas and, you know, checking day roosts. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I think the poor guy, I mean, he, he definitely felt the pressure uh, after a day or two. To, to deliver this bird. And I think he was basically going out every night and every early morning to look for this bird. I think he was also employing all kinds of, you know, the whole network of, of other people. Um, as you describe, the whole network was mobilized. Everybody's looking for this bird. <laughs> Nothing. After four days. So we, we leave. We, uh, you know, load up the bus, check out of our hotel. We drive up into the mountains. And we get about two hours up into the mountains. And I think this, this local guide, he got a call from somebody back at Tatakad and they had found this bloody bird two hours after we left. And we'd been there for four days. Unbelievable. So uh, Keith, our friend Keith, was actually along on this trip. And Keith immediately was like, <laughs> I'm going. So, and Keith actually... At some point, he basically jumped out of the bus and is like, I'm going to, I'm going to find a car and I'm going to go give me the phone number of the local guide. I'm going. And he did. He, he basically got out of the car in the middle of the city and like arranged some oh, kind of transport God. and drove back two hours, saw the bird, came back with mega photos. So, you know. I'm pretty uh, philosophical about all these things, and but this was this is pretty gripping, really. However, there was still hope. Sri Lanka, homeland of the Sri Lanka bay owl. You know, surely after all this, I've kind of earned seeing this bird in Sri Lanka. It's yeah, I'm gonna get it. Okay, yeah. so a week or so later, I'm in Sri Lanka, and I'm in the area where they the local guides and and the local birders are seeing this thing frequently. It's a new place they found for it. It's great. So uh, one night I kind of uh, allocate the time. I say, all right, we're going to go try this bay owl. You know, you do it like right around sunset and it, apparently it's super responsive. And and so we drive to this place. It's quite a long drive from the lodge. It's almost an hour away. So it's, you know, 
anytime you're owling an hour away from from the lodge it's you know it's quite a a long late night it's a big commitment but hey it's worth it it's a sri lankan bay owl when we get to the area where this thing has i do believe it's been seen but you know seen how often by how many people i don't know but we get there and my heart just sinks because basically it's along a busy road there's like a huge truck going by every few minutes and not only that you know as we discussed with the rules and the bureaucracy you're not allowed to go in the forest so we are confined to this busy noisy road we can't go into the forest and we're, we're trying for just this legendarily you know shy and difficult bird and as soon as i saw it i, I thought we are not going to see this thing and we didn't uh, we actually did hear it like way up the hillside. And I did, you know, if we had been able to violate the rules and, and and not only break the rules, but then safely get a whole birding tour group like way up the mountain into the forest, we might have seen it. But the idea of sort of seeing it down on that busy road was just kind of unlikely from the beginning. And uh, it was just that on top of the way we missed it in India and then Keith seeing it. It was all uh, a bit hard to take. So I still haven't seen that uh, bay owl. So something to live for. Yeah, I had heard that, that story from Keith. So um, it was uh, it was funny. So, so why could you not jump off the bus and go back with, back with Keith? Were you, were you guiding at that point? Or you... Yeah, yeah. I was, I was guiding the group. And right. the group just was not keen enough to want to spend another four hours on the same winding mountain roads they'd just driven to see one bird. They, you know, it just, right. I, yeah. I just knew it wasn't going to fly. I, you know how you just have a feeling for these things. Like I didn't even propose it. No, but actually people could have gone with Keith. I think I, I pr- proposed that like, and nobody even wanted to do that. So kind of <laughs> was the right call, but it's pretty painful. Are we allowed to mention the nickname that we came up for that local guide? <laughs> I think we shouldn't. Because I think that might move him <laughs> into the realm of uh, identifiability. To tell you now, I actually saw this dude. He didn't recognize me because we we went to the Andamans with him as well. But uh, he actually he's changed his look now. He's he's got a different image. So interesting. Not a bad guy. Just kind of a, a, a big ego and just a bit overconfident. Every bird he would tell me, you know. Oh, it's common. I would kind of calibrate that down to like, okay, it's probably uncommon to rare. We might see it. That proved yeah. pretty accurate. Well, good stuff, Charlie, even if some of it was a bit painful. Um, sounds like you had a great trip. I think an appropriate natural sound to play out with is the Sri Lanka bay owl, which I have heard but not seen, and you have seen but not heard. Uh, this is a recording that we're going to play by our colleague uh, Frank Lambert amazing recordist we've featured his natural sounds his bird recordings on quite a few different episodes so thanks to frank for making these available um creative commons license on Zenocanto. thanks as always to our listeners for tuning in uh, big thanks to our patrons who uh, support us catch you next time